Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard, good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, none other than Ben Carollo, who is, by the way, host of Galaxy Brain and Breakdown contributor. Should be fascinating, glad to have her back. Top story of the day, the Department of Justice was going to seek an actual warrant in order to search the property of current President Joe Biden and other properties connected to the now president. This is a good thing, I will explain why. Let me give you the background. The FBI's unprecedented search of President Joe Biden's home in Delaware resulted from a high stakes discussion between the Justice Department and Biden attorneys over when and how it would take place. Sources familiar with the matter told CNN. Biden's team stresses that it was cooperative in the lead up to Friday's search and even expressed an eagerness for the search to happen as quickly as possible to move the investigation along and to try to put the matter behind them. Now, this is different from the initial narrative we received. The initial narrative, and keep in mind all politicians create spin, left, right, and in the middle. The initial narrative was, this is a voluntary dynamic, all of it, voluntary. Hey, hey guys, do you want to search my property? That's the way they made it seem as if it went down, all right? It did not. These discussions were high stakes and yes, The DOJ ended up saying, we can do this the easy way or the hard way, but it's going to be done, all right? Once again, this is a good thing, there's more. For its part, the Justice Department had decided it would conduct the latest search and any additional searches after Biden's team handled earlier searches themselves. Federal investigators also were prepared to seek a warrant if they did not get consent to search the Wilmington property, according to multiple sources. The Justice Department, however, never raised the possibility of a warrant during the recent discussions, according to a law enforcement source. Even though the possibility still loomed if Team Biden chose not to cooperate. You want to have people Looking at things, know what to look for. Attorneys don't collect evidence, that would be the FBI. Whoever's getting this info would have to have clearance. One source familiar with the investigation told CNN, referring to a previous or referring to previous searches by Biden's lawyers. In the end, both sides reached an agreement that allowed the FBI to do the search. An investigator spent nearly 13 hours combing through all of the working, living, and storage places. They found six items relevant to the probe, including documents with classified markings and material from Biden's home in the Senate. Now, let let me caution you on the narrative so far. When it says classified markings, that is different. That is a material difference than classified documents. Classified markings, means, well, the information shows itself to have a classification. 
However, they have not confirmed or at least publicly so that the classification is active. It is possible to have documents marked classified that have been unclassified by the proper chain of command. There's more, Garland defended the Justice Department's approach to the document investigations on Monday. The department said the department has a set of norms and practices that have been part of our DNA since the Watergate era, Garland said. These are essential for us to continue to ensure that we adhere to the rule of law. All right, so let's count the ways here. Trump, a whole bunch of classified documents found at his Mar-a-Lago property and more. You have Pence, they found he had classified documents in his property as well. And now the current president, Biden, classified documents or at least documents with classified markings. Now let me contextualize this property properly. Remember, Donald Trump is accused of taking and keeping classified documents that were so highly sensitive, they were classified as SAPs, special access programs. You have two types of SAPs, acknowledged and unacknowledged. As a matter of fact, these SAP programs are so classified and so highly sensitive that even the DNI director, the director of national intelligence cannot get access to an SAP program without proper clearance and bureaucracy being approved. Donald Trump somehow got his hands on this kind of documentation. When he was told to hand it over, he did not. He then said he did, but he still had more left. He was then ordered, still did not. He played this game with the federal government for over a year. We have no evidence that Mike Pence did any of this. We have no evidence that Biden did any of this back and forth. But we do have evidence that Trump did. But let's be very clear about the investigation that's happening right now. And the fact that a current president has had his property searched. And the current DOJ said, if we don't do it, if you don't let us do it, we're going to do it anyway with the warrant. Good, that's called democracy. That's how it should work. This is what it should look like. Now, I know many people are upset that support Biden and are Democrats. I get it, all right, this is your guy, right? But the reality is no one is above the law, or at least no one should be above the law. At the end of the day, if this was a mistake in packaging or whatever it may be, let the investigation conclude what the facts actually are. But the right, the conservatives already launching the rhetoric of Biden must be compromised, he cannot continue to be president of the United States. We must investigate him and his son Hunter Biden because of this classified documentation. But isn't that ironic? The irony is this, while Biden has a handful of classified documents perhaps, Trump has thousands of classified documents in his possession. If those on the right, if they believe that a current president can be investigated by the DOJ, They must also conclude that a former president can be investigated by the DOJ. If they believe that a handful of documents being found at one president's home, they must conclude that thousands of them being found at an ex-president's home is problematic as well. You see, these things are part 
of an overall dynamic of democracy that we must settle now. If Biden did something illegal, it should be investigated thoroughly. What I like about the approach here is that you can't sense a hint of Garland trying to do what William Barr did for Donald Trump. Don't forget Donald Trump was so damn corrupt. The man literally called another head of state in order for that head of state to investigate a private American citizen with the hopes that it would harm his political opponent, Joe Biden. That is the kind of corruption we were dealing with. And who co-signed on the conversation? The Attorney General, William Barr. You don't have those elements happening today. So I say this is a good thing, maybe not a good thing for Biden, but it's a good thing for democracy. All right, Ben, you, yeah. military, <laughs> know about secret, top secret clearance. How do you read it? Yeah, okay, so yeah, so for my background, I was a geospatial intelligence analyst for a while um, in, in the military. And so I've actually worked with, with the like, you know, top secret information, all that kind of stuff. All of this is really sticky and very interesting because what is happening right now is very much unprecedented. And so I guess the first thing that I'll say is that it's hard to view this as anything other than a direct result of what happened with Donald Trump. Because there is a lot of murkiness to how classified information is supposed to be handled when you're talking about within the executive branch by the president and things like that. Because it all rests quite literally on something that was just made up out of whole cloth by George Washington. Quite literally, George Washington was tired of going to Congress every single day. And he said, you have to let me do my job. And so I'm gonna invent this idea called executive privilege, which means you just have to let me do my job and trust me that you know I'm, I'm gonna do the right thing because I was elected. And so like that's literally, it was all just based off of that tradition really. And there's been some stuff that's put in place to add like a few layers of like, you know, complication and legality to it. But ultimately for a while, it's just been this like murky, like uncertain area where the president kind of just has like had unilateral authority for classification, declassification, what to do with like classified information, all these things. Um, so now it seems like the Department of Justice, after everything that's happened with Trump, is like, wait a minute, we are going to reassert our independence from the presidency. Um, because like obviously the DOJ, while it is under the executive branch, also like has to follow rules that are set by Congress and is trying to basically create like a, a, a tradition or a norm around uh, constraining the presidency within like what the president themselves can like individually do with classified information. Now, there is like a whole other layer to this with special access programs. I actually think it's a big problem that like individuals like the president and DNI and stuff like that like have sometimes difficult times getting into like these special access programs because that was quite literally something that Alan Dulles, who was like the former director of the CIA, who was a very corrupt individual, um, used to basically segment political work off into yep. um, sort of pockets where they could do shadier things without democratic oversight. So a perfect example of that actually is uh, um, I don't know if you remember the whole you know oh there's weapons of mass destruction uh, in Iraq. 
Um, that was something that the overall CIA did not agree with. They were like, no, our conclusions is that they definitely don't have weapons of mass destruction. It was one like specific segment within the CIA that was pushing that information that was contrary to the truth, right? And so that's like how these secret organizations work where they, they will create sort of sub pockets because they have to operate in the world of reality, right? If you're the, if you're the director of the CIA, you have to have the organization like know the truth and operate in the realm of reality. So you segment off political work sometimes into these special access programs and have them churn out information to the public for like propaganda purposes like you know going to war in Iraq. Um, and so that's a big problem. That's a big problem because very often it has led to many scandals in the past where different agencies have just quite literally lied not only to the American public but also to elected officials. And so like fundamentally, Hopefully this gets the gears started towards a larger conversation about the role of classified information in general. And maybe perhaps going beyond the executive privilege notion of classified information and expanding it to something that has a lot more congressional oversight. So that there's actual like, there's so that there's a more democratic process about all of this information. Because to be entirely honest for myself, aside from the classified information that is the boring stuff, which is to say like deployment schedules, names, addresses, like, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow type things. Um, I think a lot of classified information probably doesn't need to be classified and should be more available to the public. So we do understand what our government is actually doing. You make a great point and I concur with it. And there's a standing protocol after 20 years after 40 years, certain classified information becomes unclassified anyway, given proper parameters. But let me ask you this, since you have this kind of experience and I'm glad you're on the show today. At some point, will the discussion center around who in the intelligence community shared the information with the president? Especially Trump because of the nature of SAP programs and how they are classified. And how you have to be rated to those programs. At some point, does it turn back on the intelligence community? Because these individuals did not simply get them by themselves, somebody handed them to them. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, like the unfortunate reality is there are a lot of political motives within, like, you know, intelligence community. I mean, because to be clear, like if you want to get access to you know secret information, right? If you want to get like a security clearance and stuff like that, you quite literally have to affirm that you are not a communist or have ever been a member of a socialist party or anything like that. So like anti-communism is something that is deeply rooted within the intelligence community. And because of the nature of these special access programs, right? Like you see concentrations of like sort of the extreme political right within the intelligence field. I mean, quite literally, when I was in the military, I worked with people who were pretty gleeful about the idea of killing random people all over the Middle East. And so, like, these are not like you know, don't be fooled, right? Like, I and I think we have this notion of like, oh, the troops are heroes and the intelligence community, they're doing this good, they're keeping us safe. For the most part, they're not, right? Like, it is like for the most part, actually, uh, there's a lot of villainous intent um, that is rooted in a very long-standing anti-communism uh, that that all literally goes back all the way to people like Alan Dulles, uh, who did a lot of unsavory things. I mean, Alan Dulles like literally framed people for being spies just so that innocent people would get arrested in, in like East or East Germany, right? And so like like there's there's a ton of things that uh, like. 
are sort of embedded within the community. So it, it, to me, it's not really surprising uh, that you would have right wingers in these institutions that would sort of gleefully uh, work with like Donald Trump. Because I remember when Trump got elected, when I was in the military, there were a lot of people who were like, "Oh, great, you know, there's no more breaks," uh, which is a really terrifying uh, mentality to have. Fascinating breakdown. Thank you for that insight. A man convicted of murder wrongfully has his conviction overturned because it was discovered that the detective and the witness were having an affair. Let's put up the picture full mass here. Talk about insanity. Lamont Campbell, a St. Louis man was convicted of murder in 2016. He's now a free man after prosecutors dropped all charges. Campbell walked out of the St. Louis City Justice Center on the 19th of this month. St. Louis Circuit Judge Timothy Boyer overturned the conviction back in December after ruling that Mr. Campbell had ineffective representation. The judge also ruled that the prosecutors failed to disclose that the case's lead investigator had been having an affair with one of the witnesses who identified Mr. Campbell. You have a double, a double whammy already. The first whammy, well, he has ineffective counsel. And believe me, it takes a lot for a judge to make that ruling. The judge says, your counsel was so bad, I'm not going to tell you to file a bar complaint. I'm going to correct it myself. That is rare because you do have an administrative remedy through the bar. Judge said, no, 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 this was too egregious for that. And coupled with the fact that it seemed as if the prosecution decided to ignore material facts that were connected to the case. There's more. Campbell was found guilty of the 2011 death of the 29 year old Lenny J. Gregory III. Mr. Gregory was found shot to death while sitting in his car on the 2800 block of Sheraton Street in South St. Louis. Campbell was just 17 years of age at the time, claimed his innocence then and maintained his innocence every single day. After jurors failed to come to a unanimous verdict the first time, this was the trial in 2013, prosecutors retried the man in 2016. Campbell was then convicted at his second trial and sentenced to life in prison with parole eligibility after 30 years. Three witnesses, two of whom are husband and wife, claimed that Campbell was the shooter and that he had attempted to rob Mr. Gregory the son of a retired cop. Mr. Gregory was shot in the arm and in the head. However, the murder weapon, which was a 38 caliber, was never found. Now, I'm reminding you, he did this allegedly when he was 17 years of age, okay? That's according to the narrative of the prosecutor at that time. There was also no, no physical evidence, none that connected Mr. Campbell 
Foyer was prepared to set a new trial date. That's the judge. He said, all right, ineffective counsel, obviously. There's an affair hap happening with your lead witness. Um, we're gonna go ahead and reset the trial. But instead, the circuit attorney's office dismissed the charges against Mr. Campbell. The prosecutors also announced they would be conducting a new investigation into the death of Mr. Gregory. What happens when a person is wrongfully convicted? Yes, it is an injustice to those who have been wrongfully convicted by this injustice system. It is a double injustice for the family who has to live with the fact that the person who did this to their family member is free, free. That is also a miscarriage of justice, there's more. This, the dismissal came as a surprise because the circuit attorney, Marvin Teer, asked the judge to give him until the end of the day to propose a new trial date in April. Teer appeared to leave the courtroom to take a phone call. And when he returned a few moments later, he announced that the charges against Mr. Campbell have been dismissed that would have come from his higher up. Despite Campbell's conviction being overturned, the victim's family was not happy that he was released and reportedly got into a heated discussion with the prosecutor about the case. The prosecutor said he simply is not convinced that Campbell is guilty and reportedly said to Gregory's family, I'm not convinced he did it. And as far as I'm concerned, one day in jail is too many if he didn't do it. Tear told the family, Campbell told reporters outside the courtroom. And let's put his picture back up again. He told the family outside of the courtroom, I'm just happy to be out. This saga began at 17 for him, 17, 17 years of age. Railroaded by the justice system, not represented properly by his own counsel. A person who went to school, passed the bar and took an oath to represent to his fullest capacity, failed. He then has a prosecutor whose job is not to seek prosecutions, but literally a prosecutor swears an oath to do one thing, to uphold justice. That's what's on the oath for prosecutors. Once again, they failed him too. And that initial judge who oversaw their case, saw the misrepresentation, failed him as well. The police officer, the detective in charge of the case, having a sexual affair with the lead witness, not exposing this material information, another failure in the justice system. All of that and the lack of any physical evidence whatsoever still landed a black male in prison for a murder he did not commit. No evidence, no material evidence, the eyewitness was compromised and you had ineffective counsel and a prosecutor who was willing to break the law. All right, Ben, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, this is a really unfortunate story. It's like really heartbreaking to see somebody's life like really taken from them for however many years just 
because of our legal system. Because the unfortunate reality is he's the exception more than the rule. This happens all the time in the United States of America. And now he maintained his innocence, but a lot of people get bullied and pressured yep. into taking like plea bargains, even though they're innocent. Like literally like prosecutors and police officers will use very harsh interrogation methods. Sometimes they'll threaten to investigate family members. You know, they will do a lot of things that are very much illegal in other countries in order to coerce confessions and stuff. But then it goes to the question of eyewitness testimony. Why are we trusting eyewitness testimony? There's tons and tons of evidence that I was eyewitness testimony, especially when you're talking about like a black man being on trial in the United States of America. You need a lot more than eyewitness testify and eyewitness testimony to like actually prove something because we know how steeped in racism our society fundamentally is. And there's like this, so there's really like so many layers to this. But the unfortunate reality is, is that this is kind of how our justice system is built to be like. Because the real thing is, there should be an independent, completely separate agency that's responsible for storing all evidence that prosecutors. And police officers collect. Fundamentally, the even the idea that prosecutors and police officers are the ones that have material control over evidence is completely absurd because we know the bias that prosecutors have. We know that prosecutors are going to want to put somebody in jail regardless as to whether or not they're innocent. And this has been proven time and again. And then when it comes to public defenders, not only is access to public defenders means tested, which means you don't really have a right to public defense, but also public defenders are like greatly underfunded. And so while like detectives, police officers and prosecutors will all work together with massive budgets, right? To use like all this advanced technology and sometimes even just pseudoscience like lie detector tests and other things like that against, you know, defendants. Defendants have typically like if they have like a public defender, will have a public defender who has maybe four hours to spend on their case mm. if they're lucky and they have 30 other cases yeah. that they're working with. And so our entire system is really just rigged against marginalized people. It's rigged against anybody that can't afford a team of investigators of their own and their own like private lawyer. Like and so like this is really, really heartbreaking. But I think what makes this even more heartbreaking is that he got out. He actually got like in the end. Some semblance of justice where he was finally able to have his freedom. When unfortunately, across the United States of America, there are tons of innocent people who are currently in prison because they got railroaded by the system just like this. There's a law professor named John Rapping. He has a book called Gideon's Promise. And this book highlights what you just talked about the reality of public defenders in America, how they are underfunded. How they are not part of the criminal justice reform conversation, typically because they're not invited into it. And it's not truly an adversarial system because the resources are not equitable. And I agree with them. Another dynamic, there are many, many good public defenders. Their hearts are in the right place. But there are also some public defenders who are simply prosecutors light. And they work in a way that's not as heavy as the prosecutor, but very similar. It is supposed to be. Adversarial system to be effective. Five former cops who killed a man by beating him to death. Well, they have now been charged. We also have newly released audio from the traffic stop of Tyree Nichols on that night. Here it is. We got one man up there running. Over there, set up for you know, the Scorpion car, pull over to East Ranger Road, you have one running on foot. 
the running running tag and shit with Andrew. He's fighting at this time. What stands out to me here is you hear what sounds like distress. Then you hear uh, the dispatcher, it sounds like, saying he's fighting at this time. But you also hear the officer say, run that tag and see what's the address. The question is, did they not run the tag when they first pulled, an o pulled him over, which often officers do, uh, especially if they uh, are, are coming up onto a car? Um, and so it is a, a question as to the sequence of things here. I have a lot of questions. Put up the picture of the victim they killed, full mass. Let me remind everyone of one of one issue inside of this case that has troubled me from day one. According to the original report, they were pulling him over for a traffic issue he committed a day before. That was part of the narrative in the beginning. Already, this is crazy as hell. Those officers have now been charged. Two Memphis Fire Department EMTs were also relieved of duty pending the outcome of an internal investigation in connection to the death of Mr. Tyree Nichols. The MFD said the employees were involved in the initial patient care of Nichols. The fact that they have been let go says to me that they were not involved in actually caring for Mr. Nichols. The Memphis Fire Department did not identify the two people facing discipline or say if they were firefighters. It was also not clear if the employees were being paid while not working or if they would eventually return to their duties. As we covered prior, Memphis PD announced on January 20th, the five officers were fired from left to right. Let's put them up, okay? Um, scumbags. Now I have not seen the video. I got a phone call from a city official a few days ago, a few days ago, this week. That city official told me that it is the worst thing he has ever seen. When he watched the video, he said he was so upset that he wanted to run out into the streets himself. He said, Doc. You're gonna have to prepare yourself for this. Let's put the pictures of those cops back up. I trust what the official said to me. And to those who believe somehow these individuals deserve the benefit of the doubt or they deserve some kind of grace. Um, from me or from you, you're sadly mistaken. You see, they engaged in such evil that it shocks the conscience of me and others. The descriptions we have heard from those who are familiar, from the family who has already seen the video, from Ben Crump who has watched it. Is extreme. Per CNN, Justice Smith, Emmett Martin III, Darius Bean, Demetrius Haley, and Desmond Mills are each facing charges of second degree murder and aggravated assault, as well as two charges of aggravated kidnapping 
two charges of official misconduct. One charge of official oppression. That's according to the Shelby County Criminal Court and Shelby County Jail Records. Earlier on Wednesday, the office of US Attorney Kevin Ritz for West Tennessee held a morning press conference giving an update for their civil rights investigation. What was new Wednesday is that the US Attorney's Office confirmed that it is in fact a criminal rights investigation, meaning criminal charges from the federal government could be in store for all those involved in the death of Mr. Nichols. The criminal aspect was not in the original announcement of the federal government from that office last week. It is now in the record. All right. Memphis Police Chief, all right, Sarah Lynn Davis also released this video concerning the Nichols case yesterday. Here it is. This is not just a professional failing. This is a failing of basic humanity toward another individual. This incident was heinous, reckless, and inhumane. And in the vein of transparency, when the video is released in the coming days, you will see this for yourselves. I expect you to feel what the Nichols family feels. I expect you to feel outrage in the disregard of basic human rights. As our police officers have taken an oath to do the opposite of what transpired on the video. I expect our citizens to exercise their First Amendment right to protest, to demand action and results. But we need to ensure our community is safe in this process. None of this is a calling card for inciting violence or destruction on our community or against our citizens. What comes next is our defining moment. What we all do next can be that reflection of our character. It is my intent as a proactive measure to ensure that a complete and independent review is conducted on all of the Memphis Police Department's specialized units and the commitment of my executive leadership to ensure that policies and procedures are adhered to in our daily encounters with the citizens we are sworn to serve. In the days ahead, I ask that you continue to pray for the family of Tyree Nichols, the Memphis Police Department, and our great city. Yeah, and get rid of them damn corrupt ass cops you have. All of this uh, positioning, posturing, Oh, it's going to be bad, but we need you to behave. Understand this, Chief, and to everybody who's playing this game, let's release an audio today. Uh, let's release a little bit of the video, maybe this week, maybe next week. Let's keep doing uh, PSAs to let people know, oh, it's bad, but we need you to not be violent. Listen, I do not condone violence, but I don't condone this either. Holding information that the public has a right to know. Let me tell you what else I'm sure you're holding on to. The background of these officers. I already know for a fact that one of the cops had a problematic record working in corrections. I already know that. I will expose it more fully after the tape comes out. It's important that you as an agency understand why people are so upset. This is my gripe with how this is being handled by the city. They continue to talk to people who have not killed anybody as if they're the problem. You see, if you did a press conference and showed how angry you were, you know, like the one you do when there's a gang related killing, 
those kind of press conferences. The press conference that says, we're gonna make a damn example out of these thugs, those press conferences. You don't hold those press conferences when the gang wears blue. Oh, I'm talking about police blue. That part would at least show that you have humanity. There's more. Let's put up the DA, all right? So you have the Shelby County DA, Steve Mulderoy, told the Associated Press investigators probing Nichols January 7th arrest, want to complete as many interviews as possible before releasing the video this week or next week. Um, the DA feared that releasing the video too early in the investigation could influence witnesses and has asked for patience from the public, okay? You got the video, the video's there, all right? So damn sad. And I gotta say this, these are black cops. These are black cops. There's um, there's a special place in hell for you gentlemen. I hope your mama hates you for the rest of your lives. All right, being thoughts. Yeah, I mean, everything about this is just absolutely sickening. I mean, a traffic stop, a traffic stop. Like, let's sit back and think about this. This is a problem that basically every other country in the world has figured out. They put cameras on their streets, right? They put cameras in their streets and the parking spaces and all these things. So if you're committing a traffic violation, it takes a picture of you, takes a picture of your license plate, and you never see a cop. I lived in Germany for like four years when I was in the military, and you would literally not see police around the street unless they were actively responding to something. So like first and foremost at just like the entry point of this, it doesn't make sense to have people with guns responding to, to traffic stops. That mm. literally makes no sense. You were putting life and death danger into a situation that does not necessitate it in any way, shape or form. Like so that's just the starting point. Then on top of this, we're expected to give these people more money. Like literally, even the Democrats in Congress right now are trying to increase police spending across the country. They're trying to put 100,000 more cops across the street. When last year was the most deadly, police killed the most amount of people last year than any other year. So they keep killing people and they get more money. And there are literally people across this country that are desperate, begging for housing, and there's no money for that. But no, the city of Atlanta is building housing. They're building fake apartment buildings in cop cities so that they can practice raiding people's homes and killing them like they've been doing across the country. So we get fake apartment buildings that cops can use to practice killing people, but we can't get real apartment buildings for people to actually live in because I know this is like wild, but maybe crime might actually go down if people weren't like terrified for their lives of like homelessness. Maybe perhaps there wouldn't be so much drug addiction in this country if people had like a decent amount of community instability. Heaven forbid we give public defenders money, heaven forbid we give public housing money. No, we have to sink all this money into giving these cops ridiculous amount of tanks so they can kill people. And then they tell us, hey, don't protest too much. Don't pro be, be calm, be calm. You be calm while these police officers run around killing people. You be calm while a police officer holds a gun to your face for a traffic stop. Like this is just disgusting, it's just disgusting. And all of like, like the Democrats that are on board with this, they're pathetic weasels. And we cannot let them get away with this too. Because like fundamentally, we need to be divesting from police departments and investing in communities. That is yeah. what will actually reduce crime. That is what will actually make people safer. Because right now, we are just putting gas onto a fire. 
Will said public safety and policing are two different things. Public safety is your overall goal. Policing is a small part of that dynamic. What works for your public safety goals? That is the question you start with and end with, period. Do you want to be the one to get me pregnant? No, you I could be the mailman. I'm sorry. Come on, come on. You want to get me pregnant? No, I don't. I'm so sorry. Do you want to get me pregnant? Mm, no. Everyone's talking about it. You're leading the charge to get to kill this chick. Hey, you think about, uh, think about that? You're the liberty kill man. Um, <laughs> you are the liberty kill man. I'm sorry, man. Do you want to get me pregnant? I don't, I'm sorry. Come on, come on. No, I don't. What the, what, I don't. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna highlight this from a different perspective, okay? Because we do not know uh, the mental health condition of the woman who posed the question, all right? We're not aware, but I will say this. I thought the guy handled it quite well. Uh, now, in some circumstances, that would have been a different response. But to the gentleman who had the question posed to him, sir, it's actually a compliment. However you look at this, all right, it's a compliment to you. Um, something about you was special. All right, Ben, thoughts here. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's weird, right? Like that's weird. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm gonna chalk this up to. I have no evidence for this, but like I feel like this is the defining character of like the time. Like a combination of COVID and people being like hyper online. I feel like it is really just sort of like I'm gonna be real, right? Like I think the internet is rotting people's brains a little bit, <laughs> and like people are getting way too comfortable like crossing like different boundaries and stuff like that. And so like you know. Because this is just deeply inappropriate, right? This is just deeply inappropriate, right? Like, don't ask random people to get you pregnant, please, for the love of God. Um, and like, I don't know, call it, call it like the internet, call it entitlement, call it whatever you want. But like, I think fundamentally, like, especially people who have been relatively privileged throughout their lives, right? You need to understand the impact that your behavior is gonna have on somebody. Because unfortunately, our society is very, very bad at teaching people who are privileged to respect the boundaries of other people and to like to think about like how might somebody else react to what I'm saying or if they said this to me how would I react um and just just that little bit of like empathy and recognizing that other people are also human I think yeah. it's just really really critical in this time I, I, I guess you and I disagree if a young lady comes up to me and says doc you want to get me pregnant I'm gonna say no but I would be flattered All right, we have an exclusive. No other news agency has this story. A white male basically goes to a black male, public's parking lot, has his gun showing. Well, here it is. This has been going around the internet, it has gone viral. We have the inside story to the saga. Let's put the family up full mass here. In a public's parking lot, the guy you just saw, let's call him gunslinger, confronted a young black male over his 
offer up a transaction in Georgia. The young man in the video, 22 years of age, his name is Chandler, Chandler Dean. Chandler Dean received Apple mini HomePod speakers for Christmas, which he intended to sell on OfferUp. You're looking at the Christmas Day family, all right? And here's Chandler with his girlfriend, Khadijah, and his other friend, Ben Crump. Well, I'll be damned. His friend was already Benjamin Crump. Dean connected with another man, Kajana Red. All right, let's put it up on OfferUp to sell his gift. This happened on Monday, January 23rd at the Publix supermarket in Lithia Springs, Georgia. There's the message. All he's doing is something legally protected. When he met Mr. Kijana to sell the speaker, a disabled man got out of his vehicle with a gun in his waistband and a cane in his hand to confront Chandler Dean. When he first approached me, when you see the video, I was singing, "Old innocent man, he said. I was kind of smiling because I was thinking he was being funny, like quirky with me or something. And I can get that when you look at the video, when I went back and looked at the video, I said, you know what? I can absolutely see that. He thought, well, this is so extreme. Obviously, this guy's just joking. He's being funny and and maybe he thinks it's funny. It's, you know, he has a gun, so it's hard to laugh right now. But he thought it was just a quirky guy trying to land a joke. Okay. Kajana Red, an American optometrist, okay, could not believe what he saw, couldn't believe his eyes or his ears when he arrived to buy the speakers. He said, and I quote, I saw him confronting Chandler. And I thought, is that who I am supposed to be meeting? Chandler was allegedly walking away, but I clearly heard a man mumble, black mother efforts. There's more. Chandler Dean did not know the older gentleman, did not know that he had been eyeing him when he arrived. A woman who was suspicious of the older white male's motives decided to start filming. Now, isn't this something? She notices the white male intently noticing the black male. And she says, well, this looks strange. So I'm just going to start recording right now. And this is what she recorded. Bro, I was mad when I saw the video because I've never been treated like that before. It made me cautious, irritable and anxious. But I'm better today, Shalla Dean said. The man accused Shalla of stealing the speakers. Shalla responded, Publix doesn't even sell these. Next, he ordered Shalla off his car, to which the recent Georgia State graduate said, you can see that it's my car, okay? A representative of Publix said they would respond to Indisputable's request, but would not provide an email to send the video. Now, here's what we offered Publix. We said, hey, you know, send us an email, 
you know, let us know where to send a video to. We're going to send you the video so you you will at least be able to know exactly what happened in case you do not. This is the second story from Douglas County, indisputable received this week. Douglas County Sheriff Media Specialist T.J. Jaglinski said, after reviewing the video, no crime was committed. No one has filed a report with us about this situation. Put up the sheriff, right? So he's the sheriff of the county. This is Tim Pounds. Now remember, the sheriff is the constitutional officer. He's a constitutional authority. He is the chief law enforcement person for the entire county. A Georgia police officer familiar with this matter commented, the man likely did in fact commit a crime of simple assault under Georgia law. An attorney connected with Chandler Dean said, and I quote, if he showed the weapon, it could be considered aggravated assault. That's what an attorney said. Here's the Georgia's, here's Georgia's statute on simple assault. Simple assault reads like this. A person commits the offense of simple assault when he or she either A, attempts to commit a violent injury to the person or another, commits an act, places another in reasonable apprehension, reasonable apprehension of immediately receiving a violent injury. That is the Georgia statute. And yes, it does fit based on what we saw. All right, Ben, thoughts here. Yeah, I mean, like this is one of those things where like this is a teachable moment, right? Because if we look at how old this guy is, we need to understand something. We got to put in context. Sundown towns in the United Mm. States of America reached their peak after the first Star Wars movie came out. Okay, so if you like put in your mind that like timeline, if you ever had like, you know, your grandparents or your parents tell you, like, oh, I remember like the first Star Wars movie coming out and seeing it in theaters, like they were alive. When sundown towns reached their peaks, it was the 60s and 70s when the United States was out literally paving over public pools because you know because of the Civil Rights Act and all this stuff said, hey, you can't segregate public schools any or public pools anymore. So they literally paved over these public pools. These people were alive then. Like these people were like, I mean, especially this guy, he was probably in his like teens or 20s when that was happening, right? And so if we put this math together, we recognize that none of this is ancient history. There are a lot of people that are live walking around today where their formative years, the assumptions they built around the world, what they think is appropriate, inappropriate, right? Their suspicions about other people is deeply rooted in this very obvious white supremacy that the United States has had literally since its birth. And so, like, I know a lot of people. Like to say, oh, this was so long ago and all this stuff, but it has a material impact on people's behavior today. If if this person did not grow up, right? If this 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 old man with the with the gun did not grow up in a country with this much white supremacy at the time that he did, would he be running around like you know, just like literally like staring down like random black folks in a parking lot and like threatening them with guns? Of course not, right? It would be a very different world, right? And so like this is just something that we need to understand that like the sort of next door crowd <laughs> um, uh, that's like spying on their neighbors and like constantly suspicious about everybody, right? Like a lot of the people in the baby boomer generation, they grew up in a generation where this kind of stuff was like very, very normalized and and very much like mainstream. Today, it's still present, but it's got a little bit more pretense. It's got a little bit more of a mask on it. Um, but like these people are very much still around, and I think this guy maybe perhaps might have been one of those people. Yeah, we don't, we do not have. We don't have any additional information on who the person is. I think at this point, 
he will likely be identified. But as far as law enforcement coming out initially and saying there's no there there, uh, there are members of law enforcement who have told us mm, not so fast. Georgia law has this statute and there is some there there. One officer actually told us if he saw this in his jurisdiction, uh, the person would have been arrested for at least simple assault. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Upstate New York cops allegedly stole thousands of dollars during a search. Guess what? I got the footage. Here it is. All right, let's put the picture up full mass. Let me explain everything you just heard and what happened beyond that, okay? Two officers from the New York Division of Parole were secretly recorded as they talked about stealing $6,000 they found while searching a parolee's bedroom. Now, why why are they doing this? Oh, because nobody's going to believe the person on parole. Let's take advantage of this and steal probably a life savings jar or something. Let's take it all with the police. An unidentified officer and an officer identified as Doris Hernandez were in Shannon Carpenter and her boyfriend John Granberry's bedroom. They found money hidden in Timberland boots. Granberry was the subject of the search and was on parole. Hernandez has since been suspended with pay. Now I'll be damned, you gotta think about this, suspended with pay after being on camera talking about stealing money. According to the State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision, which oversees the parole division. Thomas Maley, a spokesperson for the agency, did not give a reason for Hernandez's leave and did not respond to a question sent via email of whether the unidentified male officer had been suspended. Why is the male officer not, not on record here? Background on the search affected the couple. Meanwhile, the search put Granberry back behind bars. He is being held on violating parole for possessing a weapon, a scale and drugs, according to the Monroe County Jail Census. Carpenter, who provided the full three hours of video to the city, said she had never seen the gun and that the knife, cannabis, scale and money belonged to her. The money she said she saved while working for a food truck. At this point, whose credibility do you believe? The people you see in uniform stealing money and talking about how they're gonna split it up or the individuals that are being stolen from. You have a up and down credibility issue here. The cops are the ones who are on tape stealing, she is not. All right, complaints filed against authorities in December, Buffalo based, Buffalo based attorney Brittany Penberthy filed a notice of intent, a 
precursor to a lawsuit with the Department of Corrections and Community Supervision and the Parole Division. A notice of claim, a similar kind of legal document was also filed against the Greece Police Department. The notices argue that Carpenter was a victim of unlawful search and seizure. Carpenter also filed a complaint with the state police. Yep, police stealing money, talking about how they're gonna split it up, all right? Uh, the only reason we are aware of it is because there happened to be a camera secretly recording the actions inside of that particular room. For those of you who think this does not happen, please understand, this was a random situation. This was not some kind of sophisticated scheme. This was not some type of um, operation. Uh, this was just a happenstance, something that took place by coincidence. And they caught him, right? How many times do you think they've done that? Think it was their absolute first time doing it? Well, that's not what the police say when they catch you. They don't say, well, this is your first time ever selling crack cocaine, or this is your first time ever speeding. No, they say things like, you you, you speed all the time. Um, you just got caught this time. Well, there you go. Officers, you must, based on that logic, steal all the time. You just got caught that time. If they're willing to do this, they're willing to lie on people, they're parole officers, they're parole agents working for that division. If they're willing to do this, they're willing to lie and they're willing to put people behind bars is my opinion. All right, being thoughts. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. This happens all the time. Like, and like, that's the thing. If you have friends who are like poor, right, or marginalized in one way or another, you hear these stories all the time. This is not surprising to anybody that has like, had any slight amount of difficulty in their lives, right? The only people who are like not believing stories like this are like honestly like rich upper middle class white folks living in the suburbs where they're like, oh golly gee, I know a police officer and he would never do anything like this because Bob is such a great guy, right? And it's just a lie, it's just a joke because this happens all the time. I mean, literally, who like who are they going to believe? Might as well be the rallying cry of corrupt police officers across the country, or really, you might as well put it on the badge of police officers. Like to be honest, at this point, because like, how many scandals do we have to hear about? How many times do we have to hear about police officers sexually assaulting people they pull over for traffic tickets? Mm -hmm. How many times do we have to hear about police officers stealing from people or planting drugs on people or all these things? I mean, because like, if she's in violation of her parole for selling cannabis, I mean, come on, like literally, that's legal in like half. The the country is this really like the biggest problem in a country where like like teenagers can have access to like assault rifles? Our big problem is like who's the local pot dealer? I yeah. mean, come on, come I'm on. Saying. This is yeah. it's yeah, it's it's just absolutely unbelievable. Like like it's I guess it's shocking, but not unbelievable. It's shocking, but not surprising that this yeah. is the where our country is. A black mother confronts a school teacher for calling or comparing her child to a roach. We have the footage and it is disturbing. Here it is. The second concern was um, after school when she was going to cheerleading practice. Uh, it was a bug or something on the wall and she yelled out, it's a roach on the wall. And you turn around and say, um, it's your cousin, you will be okay. That was the second concern. The third concern, which is really my main other beside the roach thing is when y'all was in the cafeteria, you walked past her, you bumped into her and she turned around and said, excuse me. Then she realized that she didn't bump you, you bumped her. So she said, no, excuse you. And then you said, no, you excuse with your fake Uggs on. So I'm just, it, 
it got me mad because for one, the roach thing is that's like comparing her to a monkey. That's racist. That's just like if somebody was to call you out your name other than your name, that's that's out of line. And then she's a child and you bumping her and talking about her shoes and all of that, that's that's a no no for me. I have more video. Now you're going to hear the response and how the person responding basically made themselves a victim while acknowledging fault for what they did. Here it is. The biggest thing in my mind is the coverage. I wanna apologize because I had no idea that that was what that was. Um, we're very sarcastic, just in general that group and we joke back and forth and we play with each other and kind of banter. Um, and I want to assure both of you that and Jeremiah, I would never yeah. knowingly say something racist, much less to a child. I feel like that invalidates the core beliefs of a teacher. Mm -hmm. Like why would I be in a school with other people's children to say something to them and put them down? Mm -hmm. So I apologize. Okay. Um, that really did hurt my heart when I heard that because that is not what I'm here to do. Okay. Um, and if you were to ask me about my other children, we know that we set a classroom community of love and acceptance. So that was not my intention. And I'm sorry I'm getting emotional. You fine. I just really torn up a little bit. Um, as far as the bumping into her, I, I didn't think anything of it. I'm sorry that that offended you. But I just, I like, I didn't know there was a problem. Ma'am, shut the hell up. You had the audacity to start crying, saying how much this just hurts your heart. How do you think that child felt? There were multiple instances according to the mother because the child finally talked to an adult about what happened. Now. It's really interesting because in the longer version of this, the teacher initially says, mm, I don't remember that. And then she says, I had, I had no idea that's what that was. Meaning she did not know that comparing a child to a roach was a racial dynamic. So wait a minute, I thought you said you had no memory of this happening. And then she says, but, but if it did, I am sorry if it happened, okay? Keep in mind, this mother, what poise, okay? Big ups to you, mama bear, standing up for your child and doing it with such courage as well as dignity. Um, I would not have been so dignified. Uh, we do not have more information. We cannot positively identify who the teacher is, the school, etc. We are asking if anybody has positive identification, we would like to know uh, before we proceed with directing who is at fault, all right? All right, Ben, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, there is one thing that that teacher said that I think is I think is really the correct thing, right? Which was she asked, why, why am I in a school? Why am I in a school with other yeah. people's children? That is a good question, I don't know, we should figure that out. Because like seriously, <laughs> what do you mean you don't know that's racist? What year is it? Like, excuse me, you don't know? Are you a grown adult human being that's like been living in the world? Like, yeah. did you just like crawl out of under a rock yesterday and think that like, oh, you know, comparing a black student to a roach, that couldn't possibly have any racial dynamic whatsoever. Get, shut up. Right, yeah, exactly. You know, like literally, it's just like an embarrassing cop out. And then she she literally said, "I'm sorry that you were offended." Like, come on, 
I'm sorry that you were offended and then you have the audacity to like cry. It's just pathetic. Like it's it's just honestly pathetic. Like because but like and this is like I just want to tie this into another thing though because right now you have conservatives that are freaking out across the country because they are teachers in schools that are just respecting their child like their students pronouns right where if there's a trans mm-hmm. student the teacher's like oh you're trans okay this, so this is your name these are your pronouns and they're like they're like going like apoplectic over the idea of like oh my god how dare teachers be respectful to students but like do you think conservatives care about this about a teacher being racist no they love this right and I think mm-hmm. this teacher loves this too, right? She cries, she walks away, and she feels like she gets away with it. That's that's my take, right? Because unless there's real evidence to prove otherwise that she's like genuinely gonna change her behavior because she's talking about, oh, you know, we have this like attitude with the students and we go back and forth. That's not a professional relationship to have that's right. with children that you are teaching, right? They are yeah. not your peers, they're your students. And the other dynamic, um, she said the girl had fake Uggs. Wait a minute, <laughs> so now it's okay to insult Children as teachers and administrators. Okay, all right, we will bring you updates as that story develops and we get more facts in. All right, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. We have a special bullpen today, a person who served as a police chief went on to serve as a state trooper and retired. However, he has significant insight into police, brutality that happens inside of the industry of policing and what should be done. I'm glad he's on the program. Before I go to him, let me remind him of some of the stories that we've covered right here at Indisputable. Officers from three departments, including an undercover sheriff's deputy, attempted to subdue this army veteran. The man says he was tased during this struggle. After he was tased and he complied with their commands, an officer put his boot near the veteran's neck. You're looking at a man who was suffering a mental health crisis, but was beaten by the police in July, according to the Riverdale, Georgia police. This was July of last year. Rather than facing consequences for their part in the beating, the two officers were allowed to simply transfer out of the department. We have with us on Indisputable today, a former police chief, also retired state trooper, Eric Baggett, who served um, with distinction for many years. Uh, Carolina State Troopers, 25 years on duty there. Um, sir, thank you for being on the program, how are you? It's my pleasure. Uh, why the police so violent? Well, you know, Dr. Richie, I like to start with saying that, you know, we talk about police reform. Um, we can talk about police reform as far as policies and procedures, state and federal law, but actually police reform needs to start on the street. 
They can start with other officers checking other officers. You know, when you see something that's going way out of bounds or scope of your duties, you are bound by your obligations of police officers, not only protect and serve the citizens, but also protect the the citizens of whatever community that you are representing, protect them for anything that might go southbound. My philosophy has always been that some people are meant to be the police, some people are meant just to pick up the phone and call the police. Reform has got to start with background of some of these officers as well. If you would actually go in depth with some of these backgrounds, you will find out they've already had a troubling background from the start. So it encompassed these agencies to do their homework before they hire these officers. I concur with your point. I'm gonna read something that you told us indisputable. You said, and I quote, I don't care how close you are to your partner. Other officers will perceive misconduct as a green light for the law enforcement community. It's not just them, but society. If you don't hold them accountable to their for their actions, you're just adding fuel to the fire. You're enabling this person to do what they're going to do. It doesn't begin with policy, it begins with officers checking their partners. You have opened up a different line of thinking for me. Um, I always say culture eats policy alive every day. I say that often and I mean it because it's true. Culture eats policy alive every day. That's basically what you're saying. You're saying if you don't change the culture of policing, meaning where you have cops that actually would check cops, it doesn't matter what the policy say one way or the other. But let's talk about this from that dynamic. We have laws now being created by states that say officers have a duty to report. Well, it's ironic because they already have a duty to report. Now we have to make a special law to say they do have a duty to report. But if you have that law without enforcement, there's no operational effect. Because there can't be enforcement, there can't be an infraction without enforcement. You gotta have the enforcement angle. So how do you get to that place when culturally cops do not want to be held accountable? Well, what you gotta do is basically, again, you gotta look at, at the training, the training process. Uh, a lot of the training process that you, that you have in place, a lot of agencies uh, is only conducive to that agency. Um, we need to get together as a, as a law enforcement family as a whole, as a whole unit you know, across this country and come up with some kind of training that we can use to put officers uh, in positions to where they can look at a perspective and see whether they need to change their perspective of the totality of the situation and move forward whatever actions that is conducive to the situation. A lot of officers uh, that that they look at authority as a way to uh, uh, ego tripping type of, of, of mechanism. And we, we just have to have uh, mechanisms in place such as training officers to actually show these officers how you should conduct yourselves. A lot of officers really are not community officers and, and they are in communities um, that is not conducive to their culture. Uh, they're in communities where they have never been around certain uh, race of people that they don't know how to conduct themselves. So, you know, training is going to be the biggest issue right now with seeing what happened in Memphis and other areas. We got to get back to training. You know, and I'm going to offer some pushback to that. Um, I think some of these individuals are simply corrupt and they have received proper training, they understand what the do's and don'ts are. Uh, but outside of the training is common sense. We all, by way of common sense, we know, listen, you don't shoot an unarmed person while he's handcuffed 
on his stomach. You don't leave an individual in a position where they could die from suffocation. You do not repeatedly beat a man over a traffic ticket. Like these things cannot be trained out of you because they are so innate inside of your soul. That's my opinion on that. When when it comes to policing, I'm gonna offer a couple of things. Police officers, and I wanna know if you agree on that. Police officers should be psychologically evaluated every six months to one year. Agree or disagree? I disagree. Well, I'll take that back. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Okay, you agree with that. Um, Police officers should be held to a higher standard of the law. For example, if a police officer commits aggravated assault, then the penalty for the cop is actually worse than if a citizen in the community did it. Agree or disagree? I agree. All right, a police officer, a jurisdiction that has body cameras and that Body camera is a mandate per city statute or state statute. That police officer decides to cut off that body camera immediately without any other information needed. That cop should be arrested for tampering with evidence. Agree or disagree? I agree wholeheartedly. Okay. Now, th- these things actually are congruent to the majority thinking of America. Why do you think it's been so difficult to get common sense reforms to happen um, as it relates to holding cops accountable? And how do you hold cops accountable when you were a police chief and a state trooper? Well, first of all, you know, uh, being on the road for so long, you see a lot of things. Uh, I made sure the the other officers that were around me knew how I felt, and even when we were not on a actual scene, we would have different conversations, and we would discuss certain things. And I let them know how I felt morally and ethically about certain situations, and this is how I would conduct myself. This is how I'm going to conduct myself on duty. Um, you know, it, it, it's just. It's sometimes a catch-22 situation, but I think officers, they, they should be held to a higher standard wholeheartedly because you're there to protect and serve. People are dependent on you. You're responsible and you have the the uh, 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 situation where you can take someone's life and liberty. Uh-huh. You can't take that for granted. You got to do the right thing. My thing I always tell officers, it's easy to do the right thing than to do the wrong thing. It's so easy. Let um, me ask you this, Chief. We only have about one minute left. Uh, were you ever afraid that one of your colleagues, one of the officers you work with, uh, may want to kill you or harm you or your family if you stepped out of line with them and checked them? I, I've never felt that way. Um, I felt that they could cause me my career okay. by their actions, and a lot of times I would steer away and uh, you know go in a different direction and, and probably work with other officers or other uh, law enforcement officials in order to stay away from that environment to keep myself safe for his career. Have you ever known a police officer to arrest another police officer on duty? Yes, like sir. Like two cops on duty and one cop says, all right, I just saw him do something illegal, I gotta arrest him. Have you seen that before? I've, I've seen it before, yeah. um, I've seen it plenty of times. And it's, it's far few that is publicizing anything. Okay. All right, yeah, we need more like that. I gotta tell you, man, you're a stand-up guy. You contacted Indisputable, I responded quickly. We appreciate your leadership on this. I'm going to continue to talk with you and hopefully we bring you back on some other cases that we have coming up, all right? If you'll do that for us, we'll greatly appreciate it, Chief. Thank you, sir, it's my pleasure. Thank you, pleasure's mine. All right, remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.